What's up, everybody? This is LibUX, the podcast about design and user experience for libraries in the higher ed web. Coming up, Joe Marquez, the author of Library Service Design in just three, two... Welcome to the podcast. Great. Thank you for having me. I'm super honored to have you here. Um, the The first episode in January that Amanda and I aired was a uh, kind of like a library design trends episode where we tried to anticipate like the next 10 big trends. And you know, so in the last few years, it's been like user experience design, user experience this, user experience that, user studies, etc. <laughs> so our number one trend um, that we ended up like agreeing on was that whereas you know ux was sort of the library buzzword du jour of 2014 and 2015 in 2016 it's going to be the dawn of service design for libraries and then lo and behold like your book comes out you know six months after we do that i would i would agree (laughs) i have you know what i've seen a uh, an increase in that whole word the just the whole concept at conferences that i've been to and so it's great I'm curious, uh, where, uh, which conferences have you gone to where that's come up? Um, I have seen it at Design for Digital in Austin. Uh, that was oh, like in April. one second. So you were there? I was there. Me too. I was <laughs> okay. there. So. Did we bump into each other or anything? Um, who knows? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Where else have I seen it? Um, or also places that I'm, I'm talking to. Like, So I'm in Oregon, so at the Oregon Library Association. And so for the most part, there's primary, uh, there's public libraries. But um, people are kind of into it. Once we explain what this whole concept is, they're like, oh, yeah, I could totally adapt that to my library. And so, so let's round that out. So yeah. for those who are listening for the first time or they're coming out of the UX field or maybe they're just – you know, library folk who have some interest, service design, define yeah. it. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a tough question. Let's see. Um, what is it? It is a holistic take on the user experience. So the user experience is, it, we, like you were saying, um, it was a buzzword at one point, and it usually refers to the UI, and I think it's beyond it goes the user experience is just like walking in the door. What does it what does it smell like? What does it sound like? What does your library look like? Um, and so it's this holistic meaning we're gonna look at all aspects of it, all aspects of a user's experience, uh, and look at all the systems that go into making that create um, the experience, if that makes any sense. No, that makes and, a lot of sense. That's exactly what we've been pushing in not the LibUX, but the larger library UX field. These are, you know, the books by um, uh, Amanda Etches and Aaron Schmidt um, yeah. and some of the other UX things. The the workshops and things that we've written um, with capitalized LibUX have all been kind of trying to push this definition of user experience outside of the UI and off the web to, yeah, to describe, shoot, like signage and atmosphere and things that are holistic and physical um right we've been trying to get to like a service design thing i think for a long time before we've had maybe the vocabulary for it 
Right, and and I think the you know the, the um, this concept it says service design, and I think some people kind of they are confused because they don't see everything as a service, and I think that's the the difference between say user experience design um, is that we're looking at everything as a service. So if a uh, I'm, I'm at a at a at an academic institution, so one of my students comes in and, and he or she uses a table in my in my library. They're using. They decided to use the library as opposed to commons or the cafeteria or their dorm room or whatever, and so they decided to use that area. So they're essentially using that table as a service. Um, that's up to them. And so I think looking at things in the service perspective really changes um, our perspective, I guess. Do user experience designers and service designers coexist, or does one supplant the other? Um. This is, you know what, this is what I always say, is that we're not in competition. It's just a matter of, like, what tool do you want to use for the job you have to do? So the, the end goal is the same, is to, is to better anyone's personal experience with a service or an experience or something. And so it's just a matter of, like, um, I think services for me, because uh, we're in libraries, we're a service profession, it makes sense from this perspective to look at how people are using everything. Does that make sense? Yeah, this has been something that, you know, has been part of, uh, what, library land for such a long time. You know, literature goes back so far talking about, you know, the reference services and the services that libraries provide the community that um, I think almost just just the keyword makes it easier to sell service design. I mean, there's a little bit of a niche in just writing articles about, like, how to convince stakeholders that user studies and user experience design matters, but maybe that requires a lot less work um, because it's already using language that is natural to us. Right, and and to some, I mean, there was a a period um, in libraries like, oh, you know, we want to be at the same table, we're going to be partners, and I I think the way we get to be partnership, especially in, in academia and in academic libraries, is that you you provide a really solid foundation for the services you deliver. Um, I don't personally services. The word service is not a bad word. It, um, it doesn't um, it doesn't mean like we're butlers and maids uh, in an episode of Downton Abbey. It just means this is what we do. Services actually are like over seventy percent of uh, U.S. GDP. Um, I mean, we're, we're no longer really a manufacturing uh, country. It's like services are key, are essential to what we do and how we how this country um, and the current economy works. And so it's just a, it's a kind of, I guess it, it's an outgrowth of that. Yeah, I think, I think, think of uh, Apple and Apple products, which are sort of the consummate of what user experience or the experience or the, the, the culmination of the product um, mm-hmm and its aesthetic and even they are moving toward a they've announced that they are moving toward a more services oriented model uber the service you know it's this is um yeah i think this is long since elevated beyond like you know maid services or um low service and i think maybe there was probably a point where you think about that and you're like oh uh this is incredibly you know blue collar and um (laughs) Uh, subser- subservient, but right. that's not really the case. And, yeah, that isn't the case. I mean, that's you're absolutely correct. There's a great article by Don Norman, and I'm totally forgetting the 
the the title, but he writes essentially um, about services and how people consume items. So Apple's perfect example. So you have an iPhone. Um, you could use an Android. Doesn't matter your your smartphone. But it's um, we use it as a service. I use it as a service to access my email, to access my social media, to take pictures of my kids, little things like that. And then it's connected to this other cloud mechanism. This all supporting infrastructure. Essentially, I'm using it as a service. Um, I just don't unless unless you get a couple people in a room who think about this stuff um, and kind of like uh, take it apart bit by bit. Most people are just going to say, "Oh, this is my phone," right? I, and so, but they don't necessarily cons- uh, look at it as a service. So, okay, so let's say we have everybody <laughs> on board. What yeah. does uh, ad- library administration? You know, the organization at, at large is mm-hmm. like on board. We agree. It's like we this vocabulary works for us. We have long since called ourselves a services organization. What then do? the service designers, plural, do? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we would be looking at, so this is, this is where we're at the, I mean, that's a really good question. Um, we're essentially at the table. We're kind of part of like a, a strategy table because we're understanding, okay, we can make a blue, a service, a, a service blueprint is a tool that we can make and say, okay, patron comes in and she wants a book. And so we can do everything behind the scenes. What does it take for us to get the book to the patron into her hands? Provided that we're talking about like a, a print book. Um, and so, or even an electronic book. What are the various services? What are the people who are, who are involved going to need to do in order to make this experience successful? Um, so where do we fit in? I think, I think we're at the... Um, we're at the planning table, right? So it's not just like the um, planning how services are physically um, developed um, in our library, but also what about the buildings? If we're as we're going through renovations, let's talk about what is the experience currently versus what are the current expectations and needs going forward. And so this person is is essential um, and really key in how the library delivers um, its services going forward. Too bad we don't have a nickel for every time we say the word service during this exchange, but um, we're going to say it a lot. There's a, there's a user experience drinking game that uh, <laughs> folks, can, folks can Google, and yeah. you know there's definitely going to be a service design. Other words might be like blueprint, yeah. uh, touch point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, this is totally random. It doesn't yeah. uh, dovetail at all with what you just said. but I um, So the service design vocabulary is interesting um mm-hmm. i think we're going to round back out and talk a little bit about the service blueprint because um googling service design doing doing kind of like a cursory uh like getting the feel of sort of the lay of the land service blueprint is probably the most popular method right. or technique that you'll run into yeah. um and we'll so we'll definitely talk a little bit about that but i um i just got caught up in my own mind thinking about the some of the vocabulary. So blueprint mm-hmm. and touch point, I think these um, make sense. And especially as, um, like, I guess what I consider myself more as, as a user experience designer, the, um, you know, these gel with what our journey maps. Um, these, these are almost the exact same tool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, however, have you encountered language describing the service in terms of like a theater stage, a uh, front stage and backstage. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, um, hang on one second. <laughs> 
Yeah, no problem. So what I'm what I'm getting, uh, I'm in my office right now as we're talking, and and I have uh, my all my books behind me. There's a book. There's a great book called The Experience Economy by Joseph Pine and James Gilmore. And um, if you were to look at my copy, it has all these little flags on it where I reference different points, and they're in the book that I co-wrote with Annie Downey. And so, but it it's yeah, the, uh, service is about performance. And it's a it's theater. You can totally script it out. You can script a lot of it out. One thing you don't have is the actual interaction. What is the patron bringing to to the table, literally? Um, and so, you know, are they in a good mood, bad mood? What about the service provider? Are they in a good mood, bad mood? What's going to happen? And so, um, I mean, you could go to you could talk about. A fast food place. You could talk about a bank. You could talk about the library. Um, but yeah, it's total theater, and it's all scripted. You look at you look at a, uh, a chain like Starbucks. Their whole you can go into any Starbucks, whether you're in California, Oregon, Florida, whatever, and it's going to be this, roughly the same experience. And that's all scripted out. Um, but I don't know. Does that do we have to have libraries that well scripted out? It helps with the user experience. If I know how to check out a book, I can go into your library and know what to do. Uh, versus you coming into my library and knowing what what to do. I think. Did I answer I, your question, or did I? Yeah, no. I, I, I think um, so. This is something that I've been um, reading pretty heavily about uh, going forward with some of my own projects. But um, the front stage, backstage mm-hmm. lingo has sort of um, been hard for me to wrap my mind around. It was just been, I, I understood it, but it was just sort of a grind. Except um, right now, you just mentioned that you know like the service is performance and mm-hmm. somehow i've never like uh encountered that like when when people launch into a um some sort of like technique or model or or whatever and they describe they're trying to describe front stage backstage uh, the curtain drop you know like things like this um yeah. it was always without the uh the kind of like the connective tissue that the surface is performance so um yeah. so it's just a kind of like a brief performance uh, epiphany, but it's it's useful. And again, it, I guess it makes sense if you think about kind of the history of service um, design. You know, before there was such a thing. You know, the customer service has always been about um, forward presentation. The um, even you know user experiences organized around the um, the successful performance of a product. Like if something doesn't isn't isn't pulled out off correctly. Well, it fails, and it fails not because the product itself is dysfunctional, but it fails because the user, the end user, determines that it fails. Right. Or or the service provider. Right? So, I mean, if, if we're not training the frontline staff uh, in how to do basic customer service, and th- th- I'm not saying it's a blank check, you know, customers always write language, but it, it just... Like, what do you do? How are you a professional going up to going up to the circ desk, going up to the reference desk, or information desk, whatever? How do you act? Um, and so, yeah, it's it's a it's a little bit of performance, and there's a little bit of um, or a lot of um, just kind of winging it. You never know what's going to happen because you can't control you can control only so much, and we can't even create the experience, but we can remove all sorts of barriers in order known barriers, and that's where the research comes in to say, okay. This is where this is our foundation. Now, it really depends on the two individuals. If it's a person to person, it depends on their action because services are essentially they're intangible. We can't possess them, 
and they're also co-created at the point of exchange. And that's something to take into consideration, something that's kind of like out of our hands. Um, there's, this, there's this concept called um, emotional labor, and that's something that of sociology, and it's just like the amount of effort um, and caring empathy on the service provider side to take care of the, the service interaction. And that's something also to kind of look into along with like um, performance and, and all this pre-scripting and stuff. And one thing I think that's important to take away is that it's not just the um, the moment or the 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 actions of like take customer service or let's you know library this up a little bit let's take like the reference services it's not just the um the the behavior and the attitude of like the person on one side of the desk engaging mm-hmm. with that of the other it also very much relies on um sort of i guess this is where the concept of like the backstage happens it relies yeah. on the policies the barriers that the service providers put onto themselves um the the technical hur- hurdles uh, to be able to carry out their service but you know even things like um cultural or organizational barriers yeah. and so one of the things that i really like about service design um, and I think service design, I have, I've kind of like a, I've, I think I have a fairly successful rationalization that puts service design and user experience design at kind of on the same continuum. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, one of the things I like about service design, which I think is incredibly um, compelling, is this notion that we're, whereas rather than focusing attention on the the even just the I guess like the performance or the end product of the service or or the the website or the the experience of this uh, it requires that um, it requires kind of like an internal um, deconstruction to see which barriers that have no um, no real um, no no I, I don't know I don't know what I'm saying uh, no no real not impact with the uh, the customer um, mm-hmm. because they're so far buried by the the they impact the success of everything else. I, right. I, I kind of muddled my way through that. Yeah. But I, I think it makes sense. Yeah, I think see that's where that's where that whole holistic um, concept comes in because we're going to look at everything. Right, and so, um, and and we're going to understand hopefully all of the culture that uh, the background um, culture that goes into like how we deliver services the way we do in this year. So this is um, we have this concept. Uh, we wrote it in the book, and we wrote it in, the, in a previous article <clears throat> about um, doing customer journey maps. Is the idea of the inherited ecology. So rarely do we, do you and I get to invent our own library. We have essentially inherited a physical building, a, a website, which we can adapt, uh, but we all have all these services. And you also have the biggest issue is culture, this organizational culture that's just kind of like hanging over um, everyone. And sometimes it's like an anchor, and sometimes you know it's I don't know a halo. I don't I, I don't know what the opposite of, of an anchor would be, but it's hmm. it's it's a uh, so how are we you know sometimes you'll hear in meetings oh that's how we just do things or that's how it's always been done. Well, why? That's where you have to say well why because the students let's see 
this is my fourth year at, at, at this institution, so I finally I've seen my uh, the students who came in as freshmen or first years they finally graduated, and it's a big change from the students four years ago to the students who are kind of come in now. They just have a different sense of reality, and so for us it's just like how are we going to adapt the inherited ecology to meet the current needs? So my library's main building was built in 1930. Um, well, the student of 1930 is different from the student of 2016. And so how do we adapt it? Without the wrecking ball, how do we adapt it? And so within, uh, also within means, this is where you can't, you don't like put everyone into bankruptcy, but it's, um, how do we adapt it within means? One of our listeners, Ashley Middleton asked whether it is possible to innovate or change without strong leadership is it possible to um apply this kind of thinking without i guess organizational buy-in <laughs> well <laughs> um huh do you want to keep your job <laughs> no okay so um let's say so one thing that we could do is um it could be like little things this is again this is again this is a really cool stuff about the the cool aspect of of doing any kind of user testing, uh, and it's not strictly just about service design. It could be doing ethnography or anything like that. Um, one thing that we found is that um, students had trouble uh, in our in one of our studies. Students had trouble every now and then. They would get stuck under desks, under tables, in when they're sitting in certain chairs. And I wait, was wait, totally wait, wait. Yeah, go ahead. Rephrase that or explain that. So okay. they're getting, so they're sitting down and then they get stuck in them. Yeah, so so they so they would scooch themselves under the chairs. All have armrests, and the armrests would essentially get stuck. <laughs> they would get wedged underneath this table. Oh, and I understand. Yeah, right. And so we have we have you know I don't know thirty of these tables, and and then we have tons of these chairs. And I'm thinking, why does that happen? That doesn't happen because they're all the same. And so we had to go back and we talked to our administrative assistant and she says, oh, this is what happens. Those chairs break every now and then. We put them on the loading dock, they disappear, and then they come back. Facilities cha- fixes them, but they fix them with parts from the previous chairs that were broken. Huh. So what we get back is these Franken chairs, and every now and then they get stuck because some are taller than others. And, and, so, and I didn't know that. Well, you don't know that unless you actually ask, what's it like to sit out there? So, you know, every now and then we should probably be like, hey, let's be a user for a week and go sit in there and try to work like they do. Um, but it, I'm it's, curious. You have, to, uh, you have to finish the scenario now. So what did you guys do? Oh, no. You know, so for us, the thing is just knowing that that exists. So what are we going to do about that? I mean, maybe this is where I guess I could go back and talk to the admin and say, hey, can, you, can we measure the chairs and make sure facilities cuts them to X number of inches tall, a leg or whatever? So we don't have this issue. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard. I mean, unless I go through with a tape measure and, you know, school starts in two weeks, I guess I could go measure 100 <laughs> chairs and, and see which ones are going are gonna to get stuck. That's but an interesting it, observation. That's uh, so bizarre. Yeah, but and, and or knowing that um, another silly little thing is that the, the, some of the outlets in the floors were, were gummed up with either dirt or, or students putting stuff in them. And so every now and then I didn't – I would never think of – uh, an outlet, an electrical outlet, as part of the user experience, but it is. And so, again, what's going to work? What's not going to work? And, um, but yeah, sorry, that was kind of tangential, but <laughs> no, it's good. So one, so by improving these things, even at a little scale, I think what's true in 
any of those disciplines is that basically all ships rise with the tide. I wonder though. So I've been. Um, I just wrote this article for uh, I think like the October issue of Computers and Libraries. There's this uh, uh-huh. um, basically um, feature prediction tool that I love called uh, the Kano model. One of the key takeaways of the Kano model is that e- that it's sort of like the blend of features, not a single feature or whatever that shapes kind of a user experience. However, while all ships rise with the tides, it is also true that all ships lower with the tide as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think it's, yeah, I, I think taking everything into consideration um, is essential, right? And um, understanding all the little facets that make the overall experience. Ashley, this uh, listener who um, responded to my call for questions, mm-hmm. she kind of goes off on that uh, former question saying, um, okay, like g- given an unideal situation in which you don't have this organizational buy-in, um, she writes uh, that she would be curious about successful ways or techniques that you have maybe gotten staff who would otherwise be stubbornly comfortable within the current system to try some of these new things. She adds that she saw Richard Collada from a or who is Rhode Island's first chief innovation officer, okay. speak at the distance teaching and learning conference uh, just last week from when we recorded this. Um, and he suggested framing things like, this is a pilot, this is in beta, this is just what we're <laughs> trying now. So it's, it's kind of like a, like a psychological game to get people to make that first step. Yeah, you know, the, right, so back to the leadership, it's great, is that... Um, that was one thing I wanted buy-in from um, our um, head librarian, and and and, and we did. Um, but I, one thing that was really that worked in our favor was that we we're gaining tons of evidence. This is why we need we want to. This is what we're finding, and as a result of that, this is what we um, prescribe as kind of like a solution. And so, um, so I think if you have the evidence, it's really hard to argue against the evidence, um, unless you know that you need a new building. Then, then it's a matter of like a, it's a financial decision. Um, but without the leadership, there was one question that I had a lot um, during our process when we were actually using this um, uh, the first time around was why. So let me back up. Our project. Of, uh, I'm chair of this group called the Library User Experience Group. And originally, our our first mission was to look at the website, and then we were asked, "Well, you know what? Can you look at the physical uh, touch points, the exchange, the desk, service desk?" And, yeah, sure. Why not? I'm not going to say no, right? And then then I was asked, "Well, can we look at the physical space?" And this is where I said, "Oh, hang on, I don't know how to do that." And so I discovered discovered in quotes uh, service design as I was working on my MBA at the time at, at Portland State, and um, and looking at design thinking and say, oh, there's got to be something for services. And I saw this thing called service design. Um, but what the question that I kept getting was, here we are looking at physical space and service delivery, and um, people were saying, why is the web guy, I'm the web services librarian, why is the web guy looking at physical space? And so it was really it was really tough. And every time I had to justify it, this is why we're doing it. This is kind of like, it all makes sense to me in my head, but I have to explain the whole what does the user experience mean and i think people have bought it bought into it and also you know part of this process is getting people involved so your 
library staffers, paraprofessionals, uh, even students or you know volunteers in your library, they're actually part of your stakeholder group. It's not just about we're not just totally catering to the customer or the patron, but we're also looking at the service provider too, and that's essential. And when people see that their their opinion matters, they will um, they'll weigh in and they'll they'll feel appreciated. How about that? Yeah, it's this whole notion that um, that the investment in the services that you provide, the personal investment, um, returns with you know morale. There, I think there's a lot of uh, writing. Some of the like service design for business written by X Y Z. I'll I'll make sure to link it in the show notes. Uh, mentions that you know one of the first services you should. You know, if you're able, focus on are the services that you provide your employees. And by that, I don't think he means, you know, like the benefits or the salary. But it's the impact basically or, yeah, the impact on that organizational inertia, trying to um, chip away at that so that as you turn your sights toward public-facing services, the – you move at a much quicker pace. It's easier to iterate. That the iteration culture is already part of the deal, and the end results become better and bigger. Right. I, I think getting feedback from both sides of the table is really key. Right. Because then you get people invested in their own work, um, and so that that's essential. But I mean, I think in any case, um, I'm totally forgetting his name now. But uh, it, it's it's all about a lot of it is about culture. That's like the biggest issue anywhere. And so, so how do you, without that, going back to the question of leadership, how do you get people involved? I mean, you ask them, you show them evidence, and eventually they say, oh, this is actually going to make our patrons, our users, our customers happier. It's really hard to argue with that. Have you tried to tie service design to a return on tangible investment? Hmm. Like we're going to improve this, and thus our circulation numbers are going to increase. Um, that's a good uh, no. So my sorry, so my answer is no. But that is something. Um, that's something that definitely should be looking into because one thing that we heard was, um, I, I remember the, the, these two these two students saying, "I know I have a librarian, but I don't know where." They are. I don't know how to find them. So we have, you know, in academic libraries, you have a liaison duties, and so certain li- librarians are are uh, are assigned to certain departments. And so for a student, for my institution, they have a thesis component in their senior year, so it's really they really work closely with the librarian. And so for them, yeah, maybe more questions is that return on investment. Yeah, right. I guess it's whatever you define a success as, metric as. It doesn't right. have to be dollar signs. It can right. be how many questions have we fielded? Um, how many times have a new patron reached out to us? You know, and, and you know, I'm a web services librarian too. So you know, Google Analytics, you have the uh, unique users. Um, you know, like um, how many of these are repeat? How many of these? Are new? Are we reaching a new demographic? And you know, whatever whatever the success metric is, you know, I'm I'm sure you could tie some sort of um, impact to positive or negative. And right, and I I think that's where um, 
like anything, you have to tailor anything to the individual library. And I think that's another thing that, that I love about this process, this methodology of service design, is that it can be, it's adaptable to any library. And, um, and so that's helpful. So so someone comes to you, your, li- your library administrator comes to you and says, uh, Joe, we... Okay, well, this is a public library example, but let's pretend. He says, uh, um, Joe, we have noticed that our library card registration has dipped precipitously over the last couple of years. Um, What, like, can you do your service blueprint magic and, and look for opportunities where we can improve? And I, I, I kind of want to use this as, um, kind of a brief excuse to sort of introduce this concept of the service blueprint and maybe um, yeah. how you might differentiate it from the journey map um, for those of us who have a preconceived notion. Yeah, so I think one thing you have to do is, um, well, you get together a group of, so this would be, this would be hard because, it, um, hard in the sense of because you're, you're asking about um, people who aren't using the library, Right. So oh, your yeah. question, right? So it's so okay. How are we going to get? How are we going to get a focus group or a discussion group of people who don't use the library? So I guess you go into your own town, your community, and maybe you can pull people together to have a discussion. And this is where I, I prefer to call them discussion groups because the point focus groups kind of like focus on here are the certain que- number of questions. This is what we want answered. We're looking at very specific goals. Whereas the discussion group. Let's let the audience, let's let the users take us where they want to take us, and let's follow them on their on their journey. So I think what I would do is potentially um, look at uh, create journey maps of individuals and where do they get their resources. So if we're looking at specific books or news or whatever, okay, where are you getting your information? Maybe they're getting them from some online, you know, like an Amazon, uh, or they're going to the, the the local community bookstore or whatever. Um, and so just seeing, and or maybe it's an underserved population. There's an immigrant population, not, um, not native speakers of English. And so, again, what is the change in the community? So I, I'd want to see the, what the demographic is or whatever, if there's a change. We take those journey maps, and that's how we can see um, what we're doing differently, what are the steps taken in order to provide a service. So let's just say, for whatever reason, the get a library card as our example, um, button or link was all of a sudden buried for some reason, and maybe that was the issue. Then what are the what are the steps behind the scenes to actually get that in the forefront and easier to manage? Um, uh, I'm not sure if I'm justifying the process because this one's a little bit more in depth because you're you're looking for people who aren't current users. Yeah, so, I guess I didn't mean to. Uh... No, it's okay. Provide a supper, yeah. It's, <laughs> no, no. Um, but 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 it, what we can do is like if you if you're if we have a journey map, the journey map is the top part of a um, is one section of the service blueprint. So that's that's the on stage part. The off stage part is like um, of the systems librarian. If there's a systems person, the cataloger, all these people behind the scenes, the the students or people who are the volunteers. Uh, library workers who are reshelving books; those are all the behind the scenes, um, and what a normal patron might not see. So, what are the that's that's that line of demarcation, right between on stage, off stage, um, and so the, the the journey map feeds into the blueprint itself. 
it's a portion of it. Let's take a journey map. The way I like to think about it is like um is like an aerial view. You have patron Jones has this many steps to get a library card or check out a book or whatever. Yeah. Um, must get out of the car as a touch point. Must, you know, like you know, like right. all these little steps that you take that you can define. These are little touch points. Yeah. So this is the journey map. So um, the blueprint, which I think is um, interesting, and in what I've seen is like. Um, so if you have this aerial view, <laughs> if you were to turn it. Make it three dimensional, and you were to turn it on its side, and you do you present like a cross section, just like Earth Sciences classes, where you have, um, you know the 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 cl- the rain coming out of the clouds, and then it goes through the cross section of the Earth, all the different sedimentary la- layers. Um, yeah. And so, like I like the blueprint is this really cool, um, super in depth uh, journey map, or or it feeds from all these different touch points to really focus on I mean, not just the barriers of the offstage things, but whereas the journey map focuses really on none of the barriers. It only looks at the, um, the, the grind of the interaction at that point of interaction. Um, right. But it doesn't look at all the different people that are part of that decision-making process or all of the different people that have worked on the policy that informs why library card registration is a, 10 page form you know like like all these different kind of rules that feed into that interaction so you can make the button suit like right up front and it could be like blinking and there could be like a unicorn on it (laughs) and that makes it easier to click but (laughs) there's going to be points where your ability to make something usable kind of butts heads against what that organizational inertia that the way that things have been or are our reasons for doing business, whatever reasons we have for making really long forms, our technical limitations, what our CMS is, you know, like all these different things that otherwise don't seem at all like singularly attached to this one touch point determines whether or not that touch point is hard to use, you know? And yeah, I think that was a really good explanation of the, of the, of the blueprint. I mean, it's, um, I've, um, I did a workshop at a local university over here and, and, um, there was one guy who was just like, so he's like, let's just do a blueprint on everything. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you're just going to occupy the rest of your life doing that. But it, it, you know, I, um, we were, um, Annie and I had given this workshop and so we, we were saying, oh yeah, you do the service blueprint at the end because essentially like an architectural blueprint, this is how it should be. But then the thought came into both of our heads, like, you know what? There's no reason it should be at the end. What if you do at the beginning? And this is how it's done. And then you can see as it evolves, as you go through the process, so, okay, this is how, these are all the behind-the-scenes steps that go into doing, making sure uh, some sort of process or whatever service is done, is executed correctly or well, whatever. And so one thing that um, what you could do is, I mean, you could use it as, a, as some sort of metric to see um, stages of evolution into how you refine the service. Oh, right, or or how you eliminate it. I mean, when you do the when you do the blueprint, then you can say, "Oh, you know what? This is a service that this is a process that could only take. It only requires three steps, but we have five steps and three hands touching it. Well, there's no reason we need all that, all the people involved. And it's not to eliminate jobs, but it's just like how are we going to make ourselves more efficient, um, so that we can do other things." 
we're, we're busy enough in libraries, so like, why make ourselves any busier than we need to? Um, and so that I think the, the blueprint is really good as far as not only instructions on how we're going to do services going forward or a process or something, um, but you can also see how do we need to have them evolve? Where, where are their pinch points? Um, because the pinch points definitely come up on, this, on the customer side, but what about our side? What about the offstage side? I think the blueprint is maybe like the best hook into mm-hmm. service design mainly because there's sort of like an addictive quality to it, right? It's just like oh, yeah. um, like you're just kind of grooming out all these little things that have accumulated over not just maybe like years of service, but right. decades, depending on the library, which I think, you know, libraries pr- provide this really kind of like, just as, you know, library web design is its own like unique thing because yeah. there's so many different unique patron bases, like the service design for libraries is itself incredibly complicated because some libraries have existed for, I don't know, a century. Um, and, and, um, and you know, there's all this baggage and there's all this esteem. This I, I like that term that you use, this, uh, the organizational ecology. What, what the in, inherited ecology. Oh, it's, it's so perfectly, like, describes even, like, inherited assumptions from the community, right? So, like, yeah. like, um, New York has an idea of what it expects from New York Public Library, and it's not just an immediate reflection of what they're doing now, but it's what they've been doing for years and years and years and years. And right. in the same, in the same, you know, on the same flip side, I mean, if you have a library that, for whatever reason, is determined to be like routinely underperforming for years and years and years and years, you can do a complete 180, but you're going to still have this kind of like baggage this, the, the baggage of the building itself the baggage of the um, of the assumptions that people have made totally yeah and I mean right why, yeah why is it that we do the things we do right uh, it's, and and so who knows who made the decision right like you're saying this decision could have been made 20 years ago and this is just how we do things and no one ever questioned it because who knows maybe that person was a really strong personality and 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 they didn't want any changes or any questioning of their decision making um, so yeah we so we have this inherited ecology that we just have to adapt and it's that it's a willingness to evolve which is always a really tough thing change is never easy and so i think um, again it's almost going back to that that leadership question it's how you deliver the information this is why it might be good to um, to to make a change, or this is going to benefit us um, for you know X, Y, and Z reasons. And so, um, it's not just doing the research; it's also like um, maybe sometimes sugarcoating the results <laughs> a little bit, right? <laughs> Yours and uh, Anne's book, Library Service Design, uh, can help folks like address some of that, right? Yes, yes. One would hope. One would hope, right? Um, let's, yeah, let's take, and, yeah. Let's take yeah. a moment to show your book right now because it's um, the first of, like, per, perhaps like many. Just like there's several UX books. Yes. Uh, yeah, and and that's the thing. There, there was, you know. So I, I was thinking about this. There was one time we, um, when we were writing this, uh, the the publisher, they they sent us the cover and and I, and I think it, it finally dawned on me that this was going to be a physical thing. Uh, and I said library service design, and I said, you know, can we change it to service design in libraries? And um, the publisher said, no, <laughs> it's already been it's already been set. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Um, so I kind of like I grappled with that, and then I thought about, you know what? It's exactly what you just said. 
web design for the for libraries is for some reason it's slightly different than web design for the rest of the world. And it, I, I think the same thing goes for service design. We have to adapt it because in most cases, in a lot of these big consulting firms that I see in Europe or in the bigger cities in the U.S., is um, they're looking for for-profit um, companies or institutions that they're working with. And so for us, we just have to adapt it because, you know, um, the physical space, what we deliver physically in the library is so essential. It's, so, it's part of the fabric of who we are. And that's one thing in, in all my research. I really didn't find where they talked about physical space as a a point of delivery, but it really is. And and I think it, it I think that's where it's really unique to how libraries uh, hopefully interpret service design. Um, but you know who knows? I could be wrong, and I'm willing to have this discussion with anyone. Um, but it's been it's been a lot of fun, and I just uh, I I like the finished product and. Hopefully others do too. <laughs> we'll see. No, I think you are spot on. So where can people um, reach out to you to discuss this or to find your book? Where and and you know and Anne too. She has she wasn't able to um, join us, but um, well, they can buy the book on Amazon if they want to talk to me. Uh, I'm let's see. My Twitter handle is J O U G H M uh, on there, and then. Um, yeah, both Annie and I are currently working at Reed College in Portland, Oregon, so library.reed.edu. You can reach us through there. There's a website that uh, I created for the book. It's libraryservicedesign.com, nice. and I'm still working on um, uh, I'm still working on the website. So uh, I'm meant to be a little bit faster related to the uh, publishing of the book, but um, it's it's a work in progress. It's uh, Awesome. Very cool. I would love to have you back on to talk more about, like, maybe more specific things. I'd love to go further into this uh, yeah, organizational ecology. Oh, my gosh. I can't say it. Um, inherited, inherited ecology. Inherited ecology. Yeah. And I think of organizational inertia and <laughs> um, and they're hand in hand. Lastly, you have um, a course coming up, right? Yes. I'm, I'm teaching an online course at uh, Library Juice. Um, that's going to be in October. And so... And, and people can sign up now. This is like, I think that, I think I saw this go out to like uh, Code for Lib and some of the other listeners. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely on now. Um, and then we were Annie and I were asked to write a um, a workbook. Um, so more of a, like this is more of a, the the library service design book that we uh, just published is more of like a theoretical philosophical, but it's also there's a lot of actionable items in there. But ALA said, hey, can you do something more like a workbook? And so we're in the process. We just had a meeting. And so we are uh, in the process of working on a workbook that should be out next year by the time ALA Annual in 2017. Oh, very cool. Um, yeah. Are you going to be at uh, Design for Digital next year? Yeah, I will. Yeah, I will be there. Uh, and then we're also gonna we're gonna be speaking um, at ALA Annual with on a panel discussion with um, panel group with someone from IDEO and someone from Internet Archive. So oh, very that cool! Be, that should yeah. be exciting. And for for those just kind of um, hearing that, uh, IDEO are the design thinking people. Yeah, so that was kind of like a feather in my cap, and kind of like, whoa, am I ready for this? But yeah, why not? You know, come on. <laughs> well, very cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us on LibUX. Thank you. It's been great. <laughs>